Welcome to the daily VFN Radio Highlights, where we're keeping the conversation light at VFNTV.com. Enjoy. Think about this. I know we've had this before, but I want you to see this little understanding because it happens so quickly. Understand, if you're the President of the United States, this is what's at your hand. This is the power of the presidency. This is what's going to be put in the hands of President-elect Donald Trump. And we need to begin to pray for him, but this is the, the power that's there to be able to really help, like Israel and other countries in need, but also stand up for our own country. Let's take a look. The power, what is the power of the presidency? What are they over? Let's take a look. The President of the United States is often described as the most powerful person in the world. The person who occupies the Oval Office represents a population of more than 320 million people and oversees the world's largest economy. As Commander-in-Chief, the President commands all five branches of the U.S. Armed Forces and a military budget that tops $580 billion annually. The president decides where troops are stationed, where ships are sent, and how weapons will be used. 886 generals and admirals take their orders from the president, along with some 1.4 million active frontline military personnel and 1.1 million active reserves. The president is the only person who can access the secret codes necessary to launch a nuclear attack and is effectively responsible for more than 4,500 active and inactive nuclear warheads in the U.S. arsenal. The U.S. gives nearly $50 billion in foreign aid to more than 180 countries around the world. That's the president's job as well. The U.S. has collective defense agreements with 54 nations and legally conducts surveillance in 193 countries. The president has the power to veto laws passed by Congress and can pardon anyone of any federal crime, except impeachment. The president can designate land for national monuments and parks and appoints cabinet members, diplomats and federal judges, all the way up to the Supreme Court. That is so powerful, the power of the presidency. And when you elected a person president, that's what they're over. And when you hear people comparing America to other countries, you're seeing this is a pretty powerful economy, military, and, and, and just an amazing country. And we just thank God for the, the peaceful transition of power and how President Barack Obama is working with President-elect Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. They're all working together and supporting our new president and our new leader in the direction that we're going. And we'll be talking about the Electoral College when we get back. That's so important because the actual election election is going to happen on December the 19th. And I mentioned Americans United for Israel. I'm talking about, I really meant to say Christians United for Israel. We're, we're partners with Christians United for Israel. They're the ones that show up in Washington, D.C. to educate our congressman, our senator, to be able to help them understand, you know, why it's important to maintain a good, vital relationship with Israel. And we are so excited about Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu wanting to have a, a tight relationship, and President-elect Donald Trump wanting to have a close relationship with Israel. These are exciting days. Continue to pray for the peace of Israel. When we get back from the break, we're going to talk about the Electoral College. You don't hear it a lot. You hear people talk about the popular vote, but the reality is that's not how America's designed it, and it will tell you exactly why. Isn't it so exciting yes. to be able to see Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, you know, Excited about the choice that America's made, and and you know the world is watching. Yes, we know his Donald President-elect Donald Trump. I used to say yes. that his son-in-law mm -hmm. is Jewish, and uh, they have close relationships reportedly, you know, with Israel, and 
and love Israel, and we're so excited. You know, we talked about the innovations that come out of Israel, and a lot of things that we're using today comes from Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't go through there's just a ton of things, medical things, we'll technology, so much. Um, the purification of water, facial recognition, I mean, all these different technologies and gifts, and, and, and they just, Solar God's just gifted them. So many. You know? I mean, even their oranges are bigger. I mean, mm-hmm. God is just blessing Israel. Well, um, you know, so often, you know, we get this mindset and we think, and, and people who have evil intentions let us believe this, that, you know, the whoever gets the most votes wins in any kind of election. But that's not the way it works. We're not, we are a, a republic government. We're a representative government. And that if you actually did, if you, if you decided that you were going to, you know, whoever gets the most votes is the one that's going to be the leader, mm-hmm. what would happen is they would never go to Montana. They would never go to Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, you know, these smaller states would never Vermont, get. New Hampshire. You would, all, you would have no representation yeah. at all because they would just hang around Florida, California, Texas, New York, you know, some large population states, and they would always determine. So when our leaders, our wise leaders who knew that if they didn't, uh, we didn't have this kind of government, a tyranny would come up and somebody would convince 51% of the people that, hey, we need to follow this guy called Hitler or something. And that happened in Germany. Next thing they're following. They had to yeah. undo their government to be able to do it. But um, that's why they did that. It's called the Electoral College. So really, when we voted, and I hope you voted, make sure you always vote, you know, pray, vote, pray, but uh, that you're really voting for delegates. Yeah. Delegates that actually go and vote for a particular candidate. As a matter of fact, take a look at this. It's called the Electoral College. I want to talk to you about the Electoral College and why it matters. All right, I know this doesn't sound like the most sensational topic of the day, but stay with me because I promise you it's one of the most important. To explain why requires a very brief civics review. The President and Vice President of the United States are not chosen by a nationwide popular vote of the American people. Rather, they are chosen by 538 electors. This process is spelled out in the United States Constitution. Why didn't the founders just make it easy? and let the presidential candidate with the most votes claim victory? Why did they create, and why do we continue to need this electoral college? The answer is critical to understanding not only the electoral college, but also America. The founders had no intention of creating a pure majority rule democracy. They knew from careful study of history what most have forgotten today or never learned. Pure democracies do not work. They implode. Democracy has been colorfully described as two wolves and a lamb voting on what's for dinner. In a pure democracy, bare majorities can easily tyrannize the rest of a country. The founders wanted to avoid this at all costs. This is why we have three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial. It's why each state has two senators, no matter what its population, but also different numbers of representatives based entirely on population. It's why it takes a supermajority in Congress and three quarters of the states to change the Constitution. And it's why we have the Electoral College. Here's how the Electoral College works. The presidential election happens in two phases. The first phase is purely democratic. We hold 51 popular elections every presidential election year, one in each state and one in DC. On election day in 2012, 
You may have thought you were voting for Barack Obama or Mitt Romney, but you were really voting for a slate of presidential electors. In Rhode Island, for example, if you voted for Barack Obama, you voted for the state's four Democratic electors. If you voted for Mitt Romney, you were really voting for the state's four Republican electors. Part two of the election is held in December, and it is this December election among the state's 538 electors, not the November election, which officially determines the identity of the next president. At least 270 votes are needed to win. Why is this so important? Because the system encourages coalition building and national campaigning. In order to win, a candidate must have the support of many different types of voters from various parts of the country. Winning only the South or the Midwest is not good enough. You cannot win 270 electoral votes if only one part of the country is supporting you. But if winning were only about getting the most votes, a candidate might concentrate all of his efforts in the biggest cities or the biggest states. Why would that candidate care about what people in West Virginia or Iowa or Montana think? But you might ask, isn't the election really only about the so-called swing states? Actually, no. If nothing else, safe and swing states are constantly changing. California voted safely Republican as recently as 1988. Texas used to vote Democrat. Neither New Hampshire nor Virginia used to be swing states. Most people think that George W. Bush won the 2000 election because of Florida. Well, sort of, but he really won the election because he managed to flip one state which the Democrats thought was safe, West Virginia. Its four electoral votes turned out to be decisive. No political party can ignore any state for too long without suffering the consequences. Every state, and therefore every voter in every state, is important. The Electoral College also makes it harder to steal elections. Votes must be stolen in the right state in order to change the outcome of the Electoral College. With so many swing states, this is hard to predict and hard to do. But without the Electoral College, any vote stolen in any precinct in the country could affect the national outcome, even if that vote was easily stolen in the bluest California precinct or the reddest Texas one. The Electoral College is an ingenious method of selecting a president for a great, diverse republic such as our own. It protects against the tyranny of the majority, encourages coalition building, and discourages voter fraud. Our founders were proud of it. We can be too. I'm Tara Ross for Prager University. That is so helpful, isn't it? I mean, it, it helps from, it makes it harder for elections to be stolen. And we, you know, we've seen some people that <laughs> they really would not have mind stealing the election but it makes it really difficult having this electoral college. And it helps to learn yeah. the process and, yeah. and, and what all that means, what right. we're voting for. Yeah, and so uh, when people say, well, I think you need to have the popular vote. Well, the popular vote would mean that somebody could come into America who has some sort of charismatic uh, uh, whatever and just uh, convince 51% of the people the latest you know, Idea, addiction or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden they just vote. And next thing you know, he or she is a tyrant mm -hmm. running the entire country. Mm -hmm. And so the Electoral College helps every single state to be represented. It makes it harder yeah. for elections to be stolen. And uh, we're just, it's wisdom of these founding fathers, you know, 230 some years ago. And they, it's amazing too, yeah. when you read the Constitution, this is the very process that they wrote out because they understood because yeah. they were coming out from that oppressive leadership yeah. of having a king and saying, we don't want to go that way. Right. And if you were watching the whole process of the election, you, you saw that, okay, 
first one to get to 270, first one to get to 270. And you're like, you know, what is this 270? What you're just hearing, that was the um, minimum number of electoral votes. You had to get to 270 to become the president, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. And um, Donald Trump had 306 and Hillary Clinton had 232. Now, what that means is, okay. But they both start off with zero. Right. Supposedly. Right. And there was a total of 538. Now, all, through all, what that means is that we just went through the process of casting our votes to say who we we're going to decide for. Now that we have got the electoral college, which just you know has been taking place immediately after the election, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. They are not working together, and then they, they cast are working together. The 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 electoral votes, like the, uh, the representatives. Delegates. Yes. The delegates. Uh-huh. Thank you. I was just searching for mm-hmm. that word. Mm-hmm. And then they have their process of voting, which is going to, and then they have their vote on December 19th. So all, like, there's, there's still a transitional period that's still going on right so now. So nobody's really voted for a president yet. Exactly. These individuals, these delegates that have been voted in by you and your, your state, mm-hmm. uh, your political party state, they're the ones that are going to go and vote. Right. So they could, ch- could change their vote. I mean, I doubt well, very seriously that's going to happen, but it could. Because I remember when I was younger, too, it's just like, well, why, why is there this 60-day process of, okay, if I'm voting in November, why does it take an inauguration day, which is in January? That is that process. Well, it's, uh, actually, it used to be a lot longer than, than January 20th, mm-hmm. but they thought it's too long to have a lamed-up president. Mm-hmm. So they compacted it down to 70 days. Yeah. But, yeah, they have that in there on top of all that. Right. And uh, But, yeah, I think if you think about it, they knew, I mean, I mean, if you're close to tyranny, if you're close to some tyrannical leader, it's easy for you to take notes. We've been so long away from that, although we can study. Well, I think we don't teach it in history anymore. We don't teach about Americanism versus communism, and communism has never worked. I mean, it's never worked, ever. And everybody always says the next person who wants to do it, they go, they just didn't do it my way. And it's like, hey, let's just stick with a representative government. I just thank God for America. As a matter of fact, this is such a historical election that took place. This is a historical, a historical election. Yes. And it's amazing to look at, uh, I don't know if it was this program, the previous program I was talking about, you know, the Lord show me mm-hmm. that Donald Trump would be president. I didn't share it on the air because I was all prepared to share it on the air. And then I got counsel that uh, probably wouldn't be good to share on the air because people are so divided, you know, not, you know, we want whoever God wants to do, whatever he wants to do. God's God. God is actually, yeah. you know, our God's leader. not limited by political yeah. parties. And so, but he showed me very specifically, if you missed that, catch our last program because we talked about that. And it's so cool to know that, wait a minute, you know, God knew this day was coming. God knew this day was coming. And it was just, it was pretty amazing to see that. But understanding that, that this is everybody, if you look, if you look at government, if you looked at media, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC, I mean, all those, the, gov- the, the, peop- the political parties, the Republican National Convention, the GOP, the mm-hmm. DNC, Democratic National, I mean, all of them. The candidates, they were all just shocked. I remember listening to some returns, and I was saying, what was the person? And it's like, did you have a, I didn't have a figure. I didn't know what was going to happen other than what God told me, but it's almost like everybody was convinced the elections were going to come out some other way. Mm-hmm. So that, that some of the reporting's like, Huh. <laughs> like, huh? And I'm like, what? And it was like they were committed to one side or another, or and something. they didn't know what to say. I, I mean, the whole this particular is huh. <laughs> what are you doing? And I'm thinking they were not actually. They were actually. I guess maybe it was biased. Maybe they were biased toward one candidate or the other. But I know they would just show another number and they go huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, my goodness. And the reason why? Because it was historical. Nobody right. knew what God knew already. God told me in October. 
that this was going to happen. I didn't share it. I came to the studio that I didn't share it, and then God you know, spoke to me not to share it. And I didn't share it, and I ch- you know, changed all of our, our things. Right. And, but know this, God knew this, and He showed me that, that uh, not only that, that He would be working immediately, like Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, said, as soon as he gets his hand off that Bible, we were set up to begin to be sworn in, that he's going to be wor- begin working with us. Hit the ground running. Hit the ground running, and that's what God said that would happen. And that uh, he's going to be a friend, whoever it was going to be, mm-hmm. is going to be a friend of America. You know, I guess I'll make America great again, I guess. Yeah. I think his last thing in his speech was, um, I love America. Mm-hmm. I love America. And just who would think that stands out? But it's like, that's so good to hear. That's seeing that you're a Marine and you fall for the country, it's good to know that somebody that's loves the country that, that you fall yeah. for, you know. And, uh, and so it's just, it's very interesting, but it was historical. As a matter of fact, I want you to hear right now Paul Dunn talk about how historical this election really was. Joining us now for some historical perspective on this election is Dr. Charles Dunn. He's a distinguished professor of government from Regent University. He's also written and edited 21 books on American politics. Dr. Dunn, thanks for being with us today. I'm glad to be with you. First of all, let's talk history. When's the last time we had a surprise like we did last night? The two most recent races, 1948, Truman's Whistle Stop Tour coming from behind, and 1980 with Ronald Reagan. In both races, Truman was expected to win. Uh, He came from behind, and of course, there was that famous headline in the Chicago Tribune the next morning, uh, Dewey wins, but it was Truman who won. And then in 1980, uh, Jimmy Carter was expected to beat Ronald Reagan, but Ronald Reagan came from behind after that only debate between the two of them just before the election, and momentum went with him just as it had gone with Truman. So... Uh, we have a case of Donald Trump duplicating two great come-from-behind victories. Amazing. Well, has there ever been an election this divisive? Yes, we've had many divisive races, but it always seems like the most recent one is the most divisive. But we do have to say this ranks among the most divisive races. But the great thing about America is that we usually come together at the end. And we're seeing that now. We had a great speech by Donald Trump, a speech of unity last night, followed by Mrs. Clinton today and President Obama. Each one uh, was, uh, I would say, exceptional, which bodes well for the transition of power in the United States. We're the only country in the world that is able to transfer power as peacefully as we do. So we need to be grateful for the three of them to set the right tone. Beautiful. Well, um, Dr. Dunn, Donald Trump called for healing last night. What can he do to help make that happen? Uh, First, he can reach out, as he's already begun to do, uh, both reaching out within his party to the people who opposed him and reaching out to members of the Democratic Party. And of course, Uh, Tomorrow, he is to meet with President Obama in the White House, and uh, Mrs. Clinton has sent her regards and best wishes. So as we see Donald Trump reaching out to others, they, in turn, will reach out to him. And we have, of course, within the Republican Party, people who steadfastly oppose Donald Trump. Now they're trying to make amends with him. So all of this is to the favor of America 
recognizing that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And thus far, our leaders recognize that, that each one is merely a part of the greater whole of the United States of America. Absolutely. Well, not only did a Republican win the White House, but the GOP also kept the Senate and the House. When is the last time one party ruled the executive and legislative branches? 1953 and 54, under General Eisenhower. The Republicans had 48 seats in the U.S. Senate. The Democrats had 47. Uh, there was one independent. And, of course, the Republicans controlled the U.S. House then. But in 1954, Democrats came back to power in both the House and the Senate. So we have to go back to 1953 and 54, Eisenhower's first two years in office, when uh, one party, the Republican Party, controlled all three. And what does controlling both branches mean for a Trump administration? Well, first look at it this way. Uh, what did Donald Trump campaign on? One, he campaigned on the courts, uh, putting into office, especially the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, those who believe in the Constitution uh, will uphold all of the constitutional rights and liberties that we have. And, of course, on the such issues as abortion will side with life. And then there are many other issues as well. Uh, and Trump, I think, spoke to those, especially towards the end of his campaign, very effectively. So he will be executing on tax policy, economic policy, the restoration of the military, many other issues that he's addressed. So his victory means a lot. That is, this was a monumental election, just as it was for Truman and just as it was for Reagan. Okay, well, Dr. Dunn, evangelicals played a big role in securing this election for Donald Trump. What role should they play moving forward? I would say evangelicals need to recognize their limitations. Yes, they should have a significant role in the Trump administration, and I believe that they will. But sometimes evangelicals sell their souls to politics. They must keep their eyes and their hearts on the main thing. Namely, that is spreading the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If they will do that, the participation in the Trump administration will take care of itself. With Vice President-elect Mr. Pence, uh, with uh, Mr. Huckabee, and others who are around as advisors to Donald Trump, I think we will see evangelicals play that rightful role. Dr. Charles Dunn, thank you so much for joining us, sir. I appreciate it being with you. That's so powerful. You know, you're, you're hearing all these details and looking at historical, I mean, it's 1953-54, right? Yeah, 1953, since they've controlled all three branches. So the Republican Party, the conservative Republican Party, the party of Lincoln, mm -hmm. you know, the, par the party of emancipation, that uh, uh, it's been since 1953-54, since... Um, they had that majority. That means, that means that you can create a bill in the House of Representatives, which are, um, I don't know, it's one that Paul Ryan's over, Speaker of the House of the Representatives. It'll go over to the Senate. The Senate yeah. And since they're like-minded and same Two constitutional state, conservatives, yeah. for example, they'll approve it. And then they'll go to a constitutional conservative president. And it's like, it's easier to pass things yeah. versus that. We've seen a conservative House of Representatives, and that's, you know, Republicans have a majority in the House, but they would send it over to a, a, uh, a, a Senate, and then they would send it over to the President, who 
didn't, didn't have the same views as they did, and so he vetoed it. Right. And so you have the power of veto. We talked about this before, and as a matter of fact, I think we're going to go to this break in a minute, and I want you to see about, it was a, there was a cartoon years ago that's so helpful to really understand this. When Pat and I were in Washington, D.C., I had a chance to, to sit on those same steps, you know, and he talks about, you know, when I, I was just a, I'm bill, just a bill, how a bill becomes a law. Because it's so important to understand that, that if we have people in agreement in all these places, you know, things can totally transition and change fast. And that means the first hundred days of office that great things could be accomplished and things that are not constitutional, things that were preferences of previous and past administrations that were just signed executive orders and they didn't mm -hmm. stay in as long as they had to stay to be able to become a law, they can just actually sign them away. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of different things that happen like that that have been signed in by uh, just signed in and they didn't vote on it. And Congress is supposed to be that's where laws are actually made in, in Congress. And so we're going to begin to see that. Um, but first we're going to go to this break and we'll come back. Make sure you come back. I'll show you this thing that we're able to do in this cartoon. It's, it's hilarious, but also will educate you, you learn on how important yeah. it is because the, it's not just like this is a good idea. It's got to go through a whole process to be able to become a law or to undo a law like uh, uh, Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. It's been put into a, a law, so it has to be undone if somebody's going to undo it or not. But at the same time, as Christians, we've got to be thinking about, well, what do we do to make sure everybody's taken care of? You know, we thought about just bringing us something a little funny, look at the history, but also to help us really understand what does it mean? Hopefully, we're going to get back to the Constitution again, which says it's Congress that makes the law, and it's the executive branch, the president, mm -hmm. that enforces the law, and it's the judicial branch that actually finds out if it's constitutional not make the laws, not right. represent the people. The represent the people comes from the House of Congress. So let's go back to Schoolhouse Rock and look about how, what happens to a bill. Remember this because you can be involved and should be involved in your government. Take a look. Woo, you sure gotta climb a lot of steps to get to this Capitol building here in Washington. Well, I wonder who that sad little scrap of paper is. I'm just a bill, yes, I'm only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee, but I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will, but today I am still just a bill. Gee, Bill, you certainly have a lot of patience and courage. Well, I got this far. When I started, I wasn't even a bill. I was just an idea. Some folks back home decided they wanted a law passed, so they called their local congressman, and he said, you're right, there ought to be a law. And he sat down and wrote me out and introduced me to Congress, and I became a bill. And I'll remain a bill until they decide to make me a law. I'm just a bill, yes, I'm only a bill, and I got as far as Capitol Hill. Well, now I'm stuck in committee, and I'll sit here and wait while a few key congressmen discuss and debate whether they should let me be alone. I hope and pray that they will, but today I am still just a bill. Listen to those congressmen arguing. Is all that discussion and debate about you? Yeah, I'm one of the lucky ones. Most bills never even get this far. I hope they decide to report on me favorably, otherwise I may die. Die? Yeah, die in committee. 
move, but it looks like I'm going to live. Now I go to the House of Representatives and they vote on me. If they vote yes, what happens? Then I go to the Senate and the whole thing starts all over again. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And if they vote for me on Capitol Hill, well, then I'm off to the White House where I'll wait in a line with a lot of other bills for the president to sign. And if he signs me, then I'll be along. How I hope and pray that he will. But today I am still just a bill. You mean even if the whole Congress says you should be a law, the president can still say no? Yes, that's called a veto. If the president vetoes me, I have to go back to Congress and they vote on me again, and by that time you're so By that time, it's very unlikely that you become a law. It's not easy to become a law, is it? No. But how I hope and pray that I will, but today I am still just a bill. He signed your bill, now you're a law. Oh, yes. So you actually, you know, have a little fun to understand there. He says, so it's not easy to become a law. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, it's not. But notice, in our last eight years, it was so easy that our, our, our congressional, uh, our Congress wasn't the ones passing the law. Our executive branch was passing the law. And people that were running for office, they said, we need to have a Supreme Court that represents the people. It's like, no, that's actually the House of representatives. representatives. The, the Supreme Court is supposed to just find out the constitutionality of that law. Right. In other words, the House of Representatives could pass a law, a bill, and they, they send it over to the Senate, and they pass it, and they go to the President, and the President you know, signs it, and it becomes a law. But they could take it to the Supreme Court and say, wait a minute, this is not constitutionally uh, right. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court can undo it only because it would be unconstitutional. They cannot make law from the bench but it's been happening. And so we look back on this, you know, begin to think about, so you know what? We got to rethink about what, what our constitutional makeup is of our country and our participation. You can, you're the one that can actually decide, you know, I think we need to get our community together, we need to have a law. Or you could say, that's a bad law. We need to undo that law. And you can get with your House of Representatives, your representatives say, listen, we want to get together, we want to present an undoing of a law. And you can even get together and undo a constitutional amendment. Well, you can have an amendment to the Constitution, which one particular mm -hmm. constitutional amendment was was um, the uh, drinking and alcohol, and I uh, can't think of that particular right now, whether we're holding all the, the alcohol from uh, the, the citizens and prohibition. And, uh, and it just became a law where you couldn't, I mean, obviously it didn't work. And so they, but they made a constitutional amendment that you could not have alcohol yeah. in America and made all these laws about it. And then they came back and said, they voted again, and they did, had another constitutional amendment that did away with that amendment, which means this, that you, the people, can determine how, and the, how you want your country to go. I mean, if it's going in a bad direction, and for some reason we just got crazy for a while there, we said, you know what, we need to start heading in the right direction. Don't throw your hands up and throw the country away. Which makes sense when yeah. you hear that when it says a government by the people and, and for, the, for people. the people. But you got to know that because so long exactly. people have told you that they're the ones in charge and, and they're with right. a stroke of a pen, they're creating you know new laws that are just, I'm, I'm not going to name them, they're so controversial if I named them that you know, people would get a viewpoint on them. But the reality right. is you're not supposed to be signing laws into place like that. Executive order, I mean, everybody's used executive order. I mean, 
George W. Bush, President George W. Bush, but George Washington used executive mm -hmm. orders. There's a time to write those executive orders out and to do them, but if the people of a country don't want it, if the Congress doesn't want it, if the Senate doesn't want it, the House of Representatives doesn't want it, and the Senate doesn't want it, then you should be, with fear and trembling, you should think about, you know, maybe we need it for a season, but not forever. Mm -hmm. But it's been uh, basically just pushing our, our moral, our morality, you know, laws coming that's just challenging every part of us. And I, I think, personally, you know, God is bringing us to a point of decision. We need to make up our own mind, you know, where we stand on issues. And as we had on our earlier program, that 70, I believe it was 76% of the uh, Protestant church, and Protestant churches, you know, basically those who protested the original uh, Catholic church, mm -hmm. and they, they, that's what they call them Protestants, so it's not evangelicals and all that, but, it's, but they're included in that. But 70% of the non-Catholic vote uh, of, of, of Protestants, they, they support Roe versus Wade. Mm. They support, you know, being able to take a child's life in the womb. They support 76%. The issue is not the world. The issue is the church. You know, where do we stand with God? What does the scripture say about life? And, and you know, just, uh, we, we know about the marijuana laws that were passed in Colorado. And people say, you know, what's the big deal? Well, it's a huge deal. But understand this, they passed the legalization of marijuana. People are moving there and legal drugs and things are happening as well in addition to that. But guess what they just passed with this election? You thought, what's the big deal? We'll just, we'll just go two feet, but we won't go 10 feet. We'll just pass marijuana, but we won't do anything else. You know, we'll just, we will just uh, abort children before they come out of the womb, we won't do anything else. But guess what happened? Right after the marijuana law passed, a couple years later, they just passed another law. Two to one. You know what it is? That, that doctor-assisted suicide is now legal. It's legal in Colorado. It mm -hmm. just got passed. You know why? Because if we don't value life, if you don't value life, people want to value your life. If we don't value life in the womb, they won't value our life when we get older. Mm -hmm. Or we start limping or so. You start limping, you're like, straighten up. Man. Oh, hey. You're not Better walk quickly <laughs> through. So they went straight from legalized marijuana to now legalized suicide. And nobody said anything about it. They're not even talking about it. And it, and it's, it reminds me of, of Dr. Dobson's book. I believe it's called Fatherhood. I can't remember. I have to Fatherless. Put, Fatherless. Is it father? Oh, my goodness. It's a powerful book. And it taught specifically, this is where we're going to go. You know, this is what's going to happen is, if we don't wake up, people are going to try to help you along in your life. It's like, you know, you do, you're old and everything. You know, you're, you're at 40 years old. These young people will say, you know, your life's 40 years old. My life is just beginning. And uh, he talks about it in his book, Fatherless, as about how, um, is it Fatherless? Fatherless? Yeah. That um, it's a political official who cut a deal with somebody who creates this chemical that helps people with assisted suicide, that one particular 16-year-old, uh, 17 year old wants to end his life because he thinks he's physically mm -hmm. challenged. The, the mother says no, the politician says yeah, and it all kind of converges oh, and it ends yeah, with being in a nursing home, but it's not really a nursing home. It's just like a quick drive-in where you go in there with your parent and this man's saying, uh, sign here, mama, sign here. You know you said you always wanted me to be successful. successful. And, uh, and she says she didn't understand what he was doing, but she was still, she was signing her life away to have this chemical injected in her body so he could have her finances so he could live his life. It's like, get a job. Your mama's money ain't your money. <laughs> well, she says it is. But that he wanted, this is, this book talks about this and he predicted it.
All life is important. All life is important. If you don't value someone else's life, they're not going to value yours. Understand, they went straight from marijuana, legalization of marijuana. Now you can legalize their suicide. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, physician-assisted suicide. It just happened. Nobody's talking about it. And it's like, man, we got to wake up. we got to wake up. God, we need you to touch our country. As a matter of fact, I want to pray right now. Father God, Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Lord, no matter what, which way the world goes, that, that your kingdom stands. We just pray, Lord God, for Colorado, God, that you would touch that state, that would free them from the spirit of death coming over them, Lord, and the nation of the spirit of death. And Lord, forgive us for the sin of abortion, Lord. We pray, God, that you would just end abortion over this nation. End it, Lord God. Revitalize the conversation again. Lord, this current president, elect, he's saying he wants to end it, God, that you would put a Supreme Court together that just says no to the taking of, of life, Lord God. We pray, Lord, that you would end abortion, that you would send revival, God, that yes. you would send a yes. third great awakening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. You've just been listening to the highlights from VFN TV and the Data Radio Program, where we're keeping the conversation light. Listen or watch more programs and check out the VFN Torch at VFNTV.com. Don't forget about our VFN TV app where no matter where you are, you can take the light with you and share with your friends. We want to thank our sponsors and partners who make this program possible. Take the time and support our sponsors. You can locate them at VFNTV.com and select sponsors. If you'd like to become a sponsor or a partner, you can do so at VFNTV.com. VFN TV and the daily radio program where we're keeping the conversation light. <laughs>